The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to thank you for, for being here. This is a unique morning in San Antonio. If you're not from San Antonio, if you're watching this from somewhere else even, um, this is going to sound crazy, but uh, roughly once a year, every year, we uh, have this irrational belief that it is going to snow. And uh, today just so happens to be that day in my history here. It's only been right twice. Uh, 1985. And in 2017, uh, and so my hopes aren't too high, but, but here's the deal. We've been told that it might be snowing by one. And if you believe that, that's awesome. I, I'm, I believe it for our kids, all right? So it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to snow. Um, but I'm excited for this morning, not just because of the snow, but because we get to continue on here in, in Romans. Um, I'm ready to get to work. If you have your Bibles... Would you grab them? Would you open with me to Romans chapter 7? And uh, while you're getting there, I want you to think about something with me for a moment. This will kind of be, this is the analogy that Paul gave us to kind of walk us through this chapter. Uh, But I'd like for us to think for a minute about marriage. And um, I believe that marriage is one of God's great gifts. and one of the reasons I believe it's one of God's great gifts is because I believe marriage is one of God's gifts of sanctification for us. Um, that, uh, that through marriage, it's often through your spouse, that you realize quite a bit about yourself. That you realize, you know, I'm a, I am more selfish than I thought I was. I am messier than I thought I was. I thought I was great at communicating, and it turns out I'm not. Um, it's often through marriage that, that we realize and we see our sin more clearly than if we, if we weren't. Um, we see the resounding fact that we are not as perfect as maybe we thought we, that we thought we were. It's through our marriage, through our spouse, that God has given us this great, great gift. We're being sanctified as we realize how sinful we really, we really are. And this is why, by the way, marriage is so hard at times. It's easier to blame them, but it's, it's hard when, when we start to realize our own sin. Um, but I, wanna, I want you to... to, to Grab onto this before we move into our text, because I think this is important. This is one of the things Paul's getting us to see. Um, getting married did not make you selfish. Getting married revealed it. Getting married didn't magically one day take you from being selfless to selfish. It revealed the selfishness that was already there, kind of lying dormant. And it was awoken. It was awoken in us through our, through our marriage. In a sense, then, marriage becomes the great revealer. It becomes a great mirror to show us things about ourself 
A God who's trying to show us as he makes us more like Jesus. Even the things that we didn't even know about ourselves. It's through marriage. And this is why it's a gift. I've been married for now over 15 years. And, and still, I keep finding more and more and more and more. Because it's a gift of God. He's not content in letting me stay where I am. That's why marriage is a great gift. A sanctity, one of the reasons. Um, With this analogy in our minds, though, I'd like to focus now on what Paul is laying before us in the relationship between law and grace. And um, I believe this is timely for us. And if you were with us last week, you know we saw some things, and I, I said some things that were a little bit concerning when it comes to the American church. And uh, this week, Paul is going to kind of continue right where, right where he left off. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to read our text this morning, and then we're going to have a moment of prayer before we get to work. All right? So this is starting in uh, chapter 7, and we are going to pick up in verse 7, okay? It says this, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. God, again, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your living word for Jesus Christ, the word who put on flesh, the word who dwelt among us. And God, we also thank you this morning for your written word in which we can know you, know who you are, know what you have done, and know what you are doing. This morning, we need you, Lord. Come, we come to you now for our sustenance together, our daily bread. Would you speak? Would you move in us? We are here to hear from you, God. Would you speak in the name of Jesus? Amen. Amen. All right. As we look at our verse today, um, you know what I notice right away? Paul is back to his classic style. We see this all throughout Romans um, as Paul teaches these doctrines. What he does is he asks a question. He'll ask this question, and then it's like he gets out in front of us and he answers the question emphatically. So he'll ask a hypothetical, and most of the time it's what we're already thinking if we're reading it. And he'll ask what we're thinking, and then he'll get out in front and say, stop it, by no means. And so we saw this, you see, uh, earlier in Romans, we looked at, should we just keep sinning because of grace? And then Paul says, stop it, by no means. And we are going to see the same thing where he asks a question, then shuts it down. And we get to see that here. We have it here again in our text. And if you remember last week, we talked about the fact, this is really important, 
we talked about the fact that we are called to die to our flesh and to sin. And specifically what that means is that it is no longer an option, church, for us to live the way we want to live, to live just like the world, and to try to take a little bit of Jesus to sprinkle it in on top so that we can be blessed all the more, right? So to try to take the world and staple Jesus to it, what we saw last week, that is not an option for us as followers of Jesus. Jesus does not want to be the magical add-on that gets you a leg up, gives you your best life. It's not what Jesus wants to do for you. Jesus is not content being a staple on to your life. He wants more. In, in fact, he calls us to, to give ourselves, to come and to die to ourselves. We looked at last week to take up our cross and follow him. He does not desire to be the add-on to our worldly life. And as Paul showed us last week, if you remember this, we were once, Paul says, married to the world. And that marriage, as we saw last week, was until death do we part. And Paul says, without death, you're still happily married. And Paul calls us to die so that we may belong to another. So the pathway, as we talked about last week, to life is death. First and foremost, the death of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And second, our death that we die to ourselves daily. The pathway to life is through death. And it's only in death that we experience resurrection and life in Jesus. And so, having said that, it would be really easy for us to think and to come away thinking that Paul has this really negative idea when it comes to what the law is. Like, the law is terrible. I mean, we're supposed to die to it, right? The, the law is terrible. And, and to the Jewish brothers and sisters who heard this originally in this text, it would have been scandalous to hear because this law is from God. And, and, but yet, it seems pretty nasty here to Paul. The law is pretty gross, pretty nasty, needs to die, right? That leads to Paul's question. So what should we say? Is the law sin? Paul says, by no means. If I can rephrase this, what should we say then? It's the law that's the problem, right, God? By no means. Coming back to our marriage analogy. It's my spouse that's the problem. They're the problem, right, God? And, and Paul says, stop it. By no means. By no means. The law is not the problem. You are the problem. The law was not the one that was supposed to be doing the dying in verses 1 through 6. It was you who were called to die to the law. The law is not the problem, church. You are the problem. And this gets us to that question, what should we say then? That the law is sin by no means. And then listen to this church. Yet, he says, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And what a statement this is here, church. This is exactly the example that we started with this morning. This is exactly it. Let's create a hypothetical here. I think it's safer when we get away from our own marriage and we create a hypothetical here. Create some distance. Johnny and Jane. Little Johnny falls in love and gets married to Jane. Good old boy Johnny then realizes after they get married, his crazy selfishness, and he's like, wow, where did this come from? I didn't have this problem before Jane. 
What should I say then? Is Jane the problem? Paul says, by no means. Well, then what is it? If it hadn't been for Jane, Johnny would not have known his own sin. This is Paul's argument. Jane is not the problem with Johnny's sinful heart. Johnny's sinful heart is the problem with Johnny's sinful heart. And the marriage just helps shine a light on what was lying in Johnny's sinful heart. Do you follow me? Church, this is exactly what Paul is saying here about the law. I mean, listen to this example. Paul's going to go on. He says this. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shouldn't covet. You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So let's look at this. Um, Thou shalt not covet. Do not do it. Ah, Now I'm starting to realize, um, I'm starting to notice my neighbor's car. If you wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have noticed it, right? Ah, My friend's life looks really great. Do not covet. I've never noticed how nice their house is. I wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to have a house like that? See what happened is, is Paul says in that moment, sin, as Paul says, seized the opportunity, gripped my heart. In, it was not the law, it was me. It was my response to the law. Thou shalt not covet, covet. <laughs> it comes out. That's what Paul is saying here. It's like, um, let me give you another example. It's like driving in a car. You're going along your, your business. Life is good. You're listening to music. I don't listen to music. You're listening to a podcast. That's what you should do. And you're just, you're just having a good old time. And, and, and life is good. And then you see a speed limit sign that says 60. Now, before you saw the sign, you were fine. But now that you saw the sign and you realize that 60 is a speed limit, now it seems agonizingly slow. It's not even safe to go that slow. 65, 70, I could go 80 and it would be safe. Like what is going, here's the deal. Our sinful nature likes to push limits. Wherever there's a limit, it's my sinful heart that says, let me push against that. It's been like that from the garden. We want to push and push and push. And guess what the law does? It reveals that sinful tendency. To want to push. Don't covet. But now I want to covet. We push, we push. And Paul articulates this in such a strange way. And, and honestly, he says something here that might cause some confusion. Uh, he says, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. That right there is a weird statement. If you look at that, that right there can cause you to say, what are you talking about, Paul? Here's the reality, though. Paul is not saying here that there was no sin before the law because we know Paul has already said we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned with or without the law. Paul is not saying there's no sin before the law. He can't be saying that. Instead, what Paul is saying is that certain sin, and I want you to hear me here, church, certain sin comes alive in our heart because of our sinful response to the law. Certain sin comes alive in our hearts because of our sinful response to the law. In other words, let's come back to our hypothetical marriage here, okay? 
um, Johnny and Jane. Paul is saying before Johnny, or before Jane, Johnny's selfishness was just laying there unnoticed. Just laying there, in his heart, dormant and dead. But through his marriage to Jane, Johnny's selfishness came alive, to use the expression that Paul is getting us to see. Came alive. That is what is going on here. Marriage is God's great gift of sanctification. Great gift because it's the great revealer. Marriage revealed to Johnny what was already there. In the law church revealed to Paul and to the people trying to fulfill it what was already there in their hearts. It's the great revealer. Now, this gets us to one of the most challenging parts about our text this morning. One of the most challenging portions. And as I read this, I want to just observe a few things, get you on the alert for this. Um, first of all, the first thing I want, you to, I want us to see is that Paul makes a shift from plural to singular. In other words, he shifts away from using y'all, if you're from Texas, um, we, us, that kind of language. He's going to shift away from that. And what are you going to see in our text? I. Me. This is deeply personal language. And here's what I want us to take from this. We're about to shift into an area of scripture that Paul gets deeply personal and is about to share his own testimony. As we read this, read it through those lenses. This is Paul's personal testimony here that we're about to read. Second, this text that we're about to read has a specific context to the Jewish people and the law. And, and to Paul, we're going to get to that. But at the same time, this morning, what we're going to see is there are some major similarities between us and the context that this letter was written to in the ancient Roman church. So I want us to read this with open eyes and open hearts. Um, let me read this last, this, this part here. Um, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. Paul paints a picture of his journey in Christ. He paints a picture of a, of a few important steps along the way in his journey that I think really will hit home for us today. Let me show you this. Um, we can often think, and I want you to follow with me here, we can often think of conversion, of coming to Jesus a lot like this. Um, go ahead and put this, the slide up, yeah, this one right here. We can often think of our conversion a lot like this, where we have sinner, heathen, proud of it, just the criminals of the world, a addicts and the like. We see them. We see them coming to Jesus. They meet Jesus and they're just totally and radically changed. Praise God. And then they go from lost to found, from heathen to child of God. And it is drastic and it is dramatic. This is the kind of testimony that I grew up hearing in my churches. Whenever there was open mic night for testimony, I could guarantee it was going to be a story like this. I was a heathen and proud of it. Then I met Jesus, 
and I became a child of God. Praise God that our God works like this. For some of you, this is your story. Heathen, proud heathen, Jesus, child of God. For some of you, this is your story. He is, our God is mighty to save. Our God is mighty to do this. And I love hearing testimonies just like this. And it's often when we are sharing the gospel, when we are evangelizing, that we are going into it with this on our mind. That we will see heathens come to Jesus. And it'll be drastic. No one can deny what Jesus had done. And we go from heathen to child of God. And again, again, I know that if we were to just open this mic up right here and have one just come up and share your testimony, many of you probably will have this testimony. Chances are that this will be your testimony. But here's the reality. That is not exactly Paul's testimony. That's not quite Paul's story. Um, As Paul shares his story, there seems to be another part in his narrative, another part in his story that as he shares, I cannot help but relate. See, in Paul's stories, let's go ahead and go to the next one. In Paul's story, he goes from here, heathen, And he makes a pit stop at well-behaved heathen, is what I'll I'll call it, where where there was an attempt to save himself. There was an attempt to save himself, to be good, to hold up the law, to be a good Jewish leader, to have the commandments and to follow them. To follow them as perfectly as he could. See, Paul pursues another way of salvation. He chose legalism and he chose the law to be good, be well-behaved, be a good Jewish leader. And at this point, I start to realize, open mic again, pretend, many of your testimonies will look a lot more like this than they did that first slide. See, sometimes it's not the broken criminals who are proud of their brokenness and criminality. (laughs) It's the people who are prideful in their own attempts to be good, to be good enough. We try to be good. We are good. We try to be well-behaved. We pay our taxes. We take care of our yards. We practice all kinds of self-care that make us awesome. We do all the things that we are supposed to do to live our best life right now. We have all of the principles and we have all of the life hacks. See, we might not be tripping up over the same thing that Paul was, which is the Mosaic Law. That might not be our, our, our tripping hazard like we see in his testimony, but church, at the heart of it, at the heart of it, we have our version of it. And what I mean is that Paul was trying to do something to be good enough on his own, on his own power, and it's the same thing we wrestle with. Um, 
I, I think some of you might know this, but several years ago, one of the main reasons that we um, planted Stone Oak Bible Church uh, in North Central San Antonio, one of the main reasons that um, we are here is we were praying that God would lead us to where he would have us plant. We began to feel drawn here, and I remember... Um, after feeling led to this community, I was asked by a friend, pastor friend, why on earth would you go there? And he pushed it, and he says, why not go to a community that needs you more? Uh, he said, why not go to an, like a community that's just like outwardly broken, right? Why not go to a community that's wrecked with crime and poverty, start there, bring the gospel there, and see transformations there? Who, why North Central San Antonio? And I don't want you to hear me wrong. In so many ways, he's exactly right. Um, they do need the gospel there. In fact, we're going to plant more churches, and I hope to plant some churches there. He's not wrong. But you know what? It was in this moment where I felt the Lord do a kind of solidify the calling he had placed on me and on us. It was like God was saying, go to North Central San Antonio. Go to a community that does not believe they need you. Go to a community who does not think that they are broken. And if they, they do think it, they will not admit it. Go to a community who believe that they have all that they need. Go to a community who believe that they have it all together. Go to a community who are looking for they're just looking for a few more life principles and just a few more things and tricks that they can add to their already successful lives. Go to, go to that community. Go to the community who are trying to make it on their own and believe they can. God said, go there. Go to a community that shares more in common with the Pharisees than the prostitutes in the Gospels. Go to that community. Go there. Go to a community who will share a similar testimony to the Apostle Paul. Go to that community. It was in this moment that I, I realized that our call as a church, my call as a pastor, is not only to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is Christ alone, saved by grace through faith. My call is not only to proclaim the good news. It was in this moment that I realized that my call would also be to faithfully preach the bad news. And what I mean by this is that my call would be to preach that salvation is not in ourselves, in our own security, our possessions, or our success. To proclaim that salvation and, and sanctification or satisfaction is not in this world. It is not in ourselves. In other words, I began to realize that my, my call was not only to proclaim the good news of the Savior, 
but also to proclaim the bankruptcy of false saviors. This is why we exist here. This is our call. This is our community. And this is why I believe we relate so well to Paul's testimony in the early Roman church. Now I want to kind of bring this all back around. Um, Listen, church, for anyone who has tried or who is trying right now to find hope, to find rest, to find peace, anyone who is searching for it in the world in all that you have or all that you can earn in your stuff or anyone who is searching for it in yourself and what you do and what you can accomplish and, and the way you live, anyone who is there, you are ultimately you are not going to find what you are looking for. You're not going to find what the commercials are selling you or trying to sell you. You are, you can't buy it. And there's no life hacks that'll give it to you. There's no life principles. There's no diet. There's no exercise program that is going to help you arrive. There's no five easy steps. In fact, it's just like the marriage between Johnny and Jane. In, your, in the pursuit of all of those things, even the good things, here's what's going to happen. You're simply going to realize more and more your own brokenness. The more Paul pursued the law, hear me, church, the more Paul pursued the law in our text, the more Paul realized his own sin. The more you and I pursue our things, the more you and I will will see and realize our own sin. The truth is is that our God made us with a thirst that only he can satisfy. He's made us thirsty and praise God that scripture says he then offers the drink. But we will not be able to satisfy our thirst with any other thing. And, and, and scripture says that when, he, when we take that drink, Jesus says, you're never going to thirst again. All satisfaction is drawn from him. Nothing can satisfy that longing outside of Jesus Christ. There's no sin. There's no purchase. There's no drug, no relationship, no job, no car, no money, no amount of security, no bank account size that can give you that satisfaction and security that Christ offers. That includes the good things, church. And I I don't want us to forget this. The law is good. It's a good thing. It's a good thing given to them by God. In fact, listen to what Paul says in this last verse that we're going to look at today. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is not the problem. It's holy, it's righteous, and it is good. (laughs) But as we said already, if you were to think back, not just in our own lives, but just think back on the pages of Scripture, from day one, from day one, we see example after example after example of us in our sinful hearts taking God's good things and misusing, abusing, and worshiping them. We see it in the garden with the fruit. 
They were given dominion over this beautiful garden, God's good gift. And what did they do? They used it for sin. We see it in Babel. These are just a few. But in Babel, we have this beautiful ability to collaborate and innovate good gifts that God has given. Good gifts. What do we do? We pushed it and we used it for sin. We see all throughout the Bible, God's good gifts of material blessings, money, sex, food, drink, you name it. We as fallen human beings are so inclined to take God's good gifts, to abuse them, misuse them, and to worship them. And the law is no different, church. The law is no different. It was God's good gift. It was his way of saying, here is the way that you can live to, to walk in the human flourishing. Here is the, it was a gift. And as Paul shares in his testimony, Paul had taken God's good gift of his law and used it, misused it, abused it, and worshiped it. Going back to the two types of testimonies here, um, I want to be very clear. This person... And this person are just as broken. They are just as sinful. They are just as condemned. In many ways, this person has a little bit of a leg up. Not in salvation, but in the fact that they often realize their brokenness. And they don't lie about it and cover it up. Which, by the way, do you ever wonder why Jesus often operates the way he operates in the Gospels? You read it, and there are so many times where you read it, and you're like, wow, Jesus, you are being so kind and gracious. And normally, that's, he's being kind and gracious to someone like a prostitute, and then the very next chapter, you, you read and you're like, oh, Jesus, you, that was harsh. That was, in, that was insanely harsh. And most of the time, church, that is to the Pharisee, the religious leader. Why is that? Why is that? Well, it's because for those who know they're broken, the most loving thing that we can do is to share the grace of God with open arms and to say, come as you are. There is healing in Jesus for those who are broken, for the heathens out there. The most gracious thing we can do is to love them, to tell them about the love of God. But you know what? For those who are here who are the well-behaved heathens, the ones who do not admit or acknowledge that they are broken, you know what the most loving thing is that we can do? The most loving thing that we can do is to rebuke the false hope that they have. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did so that they can then be mended and made whole. This was Jesus' ministry. To the broken, they need to hear the gospel and the news of the Savior. To those who don't think or know they're broken, they need brokenness revealed to them so that they can experience and respond to the gospel and know their Savior. They need to understand that they need saving before the news of a Savior will be good news. I want us to consider verse 12 one more time. 
just as a summary of all of Romans here for this whole letter up to this point. Paul says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. There are four things here that I want us to see. The first is that our God is holy, righteous, and good. God is holy, meaning he is set apart, distinct. I think about this as kind of a a sacred otherness. That's holiness. God is holy. God is righteous, meaning he is perfect, and he's in perfect alignment with perfection perfectly all the time. I know I use perfect too many times. That's my point. God is holy, God is righteous, and and God is good. This, This means his moral perfection. This is that he is kind. This is the Hebrew word hesed, which means the loving kindness of our God. He is perfectly good all the time with all he does, all he thinks, all he all he is. God is holy, righteous, and good. That's the first thing. The second thing is, though, as Paul just said, God's law is holy, righteous, and good. Holy, righteous, and good. God's command, his word, his law, all that he says Holy, righteous, and good. So Paul's question, what should we say? Is the law the problem? By no means. Why is the law not the problem? Because God's law is holy, it's righteous, and it is good. Which, by the way, quick side note here, before we get to the third. This is why it is not an option for us, for for any of us, to want to say yes to God, but no to his word. That's not an option for us, to say yes to Jesus, but not to what Jesus said, because God is holy, righteous, and good. Therefore, his word, his law, his commands, what he says is holy, righteous, and good. The third thing here is that the law reveals that we are not holy, righteous, or good. This is so basic. This is Romans up to this point. God is holy, righteous, and good. His word, his commands are holy, righteous, and good. And what that does is it shows us that we are not holy, righteous, or good. Like Johnny and Jane. Leave it to marriage to show Johnny that he is not the best husband to ever walk the planet. Leave it to getting married to show him that. See, the law reveals, the word of God reveals the sin of our own heart. The word of God reveals our need for a savior. So God is holy, righteous, good. His law is holy, righteous, and good. His law reveals to us that we are not holy, righteous, and good. Lastly, if you've been through Romans with us up to this point, you've heard nothing else. You've heard this, that justification is by faith alone. The righteous shall live by faith alone. What does that mean? Well, it means that his grace makes us holy, righteous, and good through faith in Jesus Christ. God is holy. His word is holy and righteous and good. It reveals that we are not. And God's grace makes us holy, righteous, and good through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words... Grace gives us the full solution that the law, the problem that the law revealed. Grace gives us the full solution to the problem that the law revealed in us. And in this message, 
That's why the gospel is not just some fix-it-yourself message. It's not clean up, come to, no, it's a come all who are broken. And by the grace of God, through faith, we are made whole through Jesus. So if you are here right now this morning, if you are here, the call is to come just as you are. Come just as you are. There is no sin that is too big for the cross. Come just as you are by grace through faith. This is the invitation to you this morning. If you are here this morning, the call is to come as you are to put down your attempts to fix yourself, to lay down your pride to save yourself. And by grace, through faith in Jesus, God will make you whole, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And lastly, church, if you're here this morning, you rejoice that you are a child of God. The call is to rejoice in what God has done, to boast in and only in what God has done, and to share the hope that we have in Christ with all of the heathens, whether they be well-behaved or not to share with all of the children of God, to encourage us to respond to the gospel daily. Church, let's pray. As we respond to this, as we respond to the word of God this morning, God, we are, we confess that we are broken. All of us, that if we were to share our testimony, that it would be one of brokenness. For some, maybe it's open brokenness. For others, it's closet brokenness and trying to fix ourselves. Lord, in this moment, we as your people, we want to lay all of it at your feet. To lay our brokenness and to lay our attempts at your feet. And to realize what your word says, that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But yet, God, your word also says that you demonstrated the great love that you have for while we were dead in that sin, you sent Jesus who willingly came and took our sin. All of it. Lord, in this moment, wherever we are in our walk with you, I pray that you would convict us of our sin, and I pray that you would turn our gaze and our eyes to you, and that we would remember what Romans has put before us, that as we stand before your throne, our only plea, our only plea is Christ in Christ alone faith in Christ, in Christ alone. So Lord, we sing about that. We respond in that as we close this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.